Welcome back to Bible Time, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Today we will begin the book of 2 Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. We thank you, Lord, for the purpose that you give life through your word. We thank you, Lord God, for the power that is in your word, Father, and we just praise you, Lord God. You're so good, and we worship you, and we thank you. Father, please take this message and use it today, and let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, our Bible time broadcasting has been just a little bit erratic lately with preparations and logistics um, going in, um, going into the works, however you want to say that, trying to get ready to do some evangelistic outreach work in some of the cities of America and places here in the United States of America. Please keep us in prayer. Here as we begin 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus are writing of the church of the Thessalonians. I want you to turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and see a little bit of my difficulty in preparing a message here on this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That part, it goes on there, of course, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But there in 2 Thessalonians, all that we really have as a difference is the splitting up of these two phrases into two verses instead of one verse. So I've already preached on this. So you say, what else is there to preach on? Well, thankfully, the word of God is pure and perfect and deep. So we're just going to try and get in deeper than we've gotten in on other times. If you want, you can go back and listen to the other message. It would apply, apply similarly, but there is something that we can find from this, from God repeating this, and we're going to see that today. In fact, that's kind of what we're really going to focus on is the fact that this is repeated back to back in two separate epistles to the church at Thessalonica. Now, when we looked at this previously, we noticed that Paul did not claim his apostolic authority whenever he addressed the church of the Thessalonians. To the church of the Corinthians, he's Paul called to be an apostle. To the church of the Corinthians, he spends more time validating his ministry and giving them the proofs of his ministry and who he is and what he's doing and how God sent him than he does with any other church. The Galatian church gets second place. Both of these churches were erring. Both of these churches were struggling. They were both good churches, but the church of the Corinthians was full of license and the church of the Galatians was full of legalism. And in both cases, Paul had to bring his full authority to bear uh, as much as possible all the time, all throughout the book, not just in the opening remarks, but all throughout the book. Here in the books of First and Second Thessalonians, these epistles to the church of the, Thess- of the Thessalonians, the apostle Paul is able to address these as equals. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. He doesn't take any kind of authority over them. He doesn't act as if he has any kind of authority over them in the way that he addresses them, though we know that he did have authority. And we know from 1 Thessalonians that they received the word of God from him as it was in truth, not as the word of men, but as it was the word of God. And that is the reason that Paul was able to treat them as equals. You see, whenever we come to God's word with submissive hearts and we're all willing to obey, 
obey the word of God and subjected to the word of God, there is no need for any kind of hierarchy at all in the church house. Now, God does give pastors to churches. The Bible says that the apostle told them to ordain elders in every city. I believe that was Timothy that Paul was talking to whenever he said that. And there is authority, there is jurisdiction that God gives to pastors, but you'll notice that a lot of times the pastors whose churches are following God and reading their own Bibles, those pastors don't have to reinforce their authority. They can generally act as equals and still do what God tells them to do. But in churches where you have a bunch of rebels and you have a bunch of people that are going outside of the scripture and defying the word of God and being disobedient to the word of God, you find in churches in that condition that the pastor has to regularly make reference to his pastoral authority, not because necessarily he wants to lord it over them. That does happen too, but good pastors don't want to lord it over the flock, but even a good pastor will have to reference his authority and remind the church of his authority whenever he has unruly people in his church. It is a direct reflection on the church how much the pastor has to teach on his own authority. And some of you out there say the pastor should never teach on his own authority. Bah and humbug. Pastors should. The Apostle Paul, in dealing with the church at Corinth, taught a very great deal on his own authority, and he exhorted them to obey and to follow him as he followed Christ. And when pastors have unruly people in their church, they have to go back to their authority and cite it and reference it and show it in order to remind those people to follow them as they follow God. Here in the, to the church of the Thessalonians, we don't find that. We find here a ruly church. Remember the passage warned them that are unruly in First Thessalonians. And we looked at how the Bible is the rule and how that those that depart from the word of God are unruly. A church that is departing from the word of God is unruly. This church of the Thessalonians had received the word of God as it was in truth, as the word of God, not as the word of man. They recognized that the apostle Paul was not some kind of spiritual guru that had a ascended to a higher plane of spirituality. Rather, they knew that God had given the Apostle Paul his word and that the Apostle Paul was bringing the very word of God. And they received the word of God from the Apostle Paul, not as the words of the Apostle Paul, but as the words of God. Now, let me ask you a question. If you have, if you have a group of people that are receiving the word of God as the word of God, do you need to remind them that you're an apostle? so that they will receive it. Not at all. In fact, you would be going backwards. Does that make sense? You would be, you'd be trying to get them to look backwards, back at you, when the whole job of the true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to get people's eyes on Jesus. The whole purpose, the whole direction, the whole desire burning in the heart of a God-called minister is that his people would look to Jesus, that his people would get in the Bible, that his people would study the word of God for themselves, that his people would learn to go to God and go to the word of God and get help themselves. It is not the goal of any God-called preacher to grow up a bunch of 200-pound infants that have to have their diapers changed and have to be patted on the back to to get them to burp after every meal. 
Any God-called minister wants his congregation, wants his people, wants those under his authority that God has given him to oversee, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the word of God as it is in truth, the word of God. Now, this church at Thessalonica, this is something that just really bothers me, uh, really bothers me. I don't know if I can even get into it much, but the idea that the church of today has matured beyond the church of Acts is is a common idea. This is a common idea that you get in all major religions. Orthodoxy, Catholicism, and Protestantism included all think that we have achieved a higher plane of existence. We think that with our school books and our seminaries, we have gotten beyond. We think that because now we have the Bible printed in our language and we can read it, that we've gone beyond the early church. Well, we do have the Bible more accessible to us today. And we do have more study helps and we do have more ministers and we do have more recordings of good Bible preaching. We are not more mature than the early church. In fact, we have gone in a retrograde. We have gone exactly backwards from the early church. It's not how much you know that makes you mature in Christ. It's your faith and your fullness of the Holy Spirit, your your closeness to the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you that determines your maturity. Now, this early church in Thessalonica, they did not have printed Bibles. They did. They might have had hand copied parchments with fragments of the scriptures on them. Otherwise, they could go up to the synagogue of the Jews and try and get a chance to hear the reading of the Old Testament. But they had a very limited access to the word of God. These Thessalonican believers had lost the apostle Paul two weeks into his ministry in Thessalonica. The whole concept of church planting would throw up its hands in the air at such a prospect that the apostle Paul would start a church in two weeks, three Sabbath days reasoning together from the scriptures and he's run out of town. And yet here is a flourishing church that, and they are in samples to all them in Macedonia and Achaia. Why? Because they received the word as the word of God and not as the word of men. Their maturity came from their faith, though they were immature in many doctrinal aspects, though they did not have seminaries, They did not have a big building. They did not have a bank account. They did not have a tax code and and they did not have tax exempt status. They did not have good organization. They did not have lawyers associations. They did not have associations. They did not have a statement of faith. They did not have any of those things. But what they had was faith that the word of God was the word of God. And with that faith, they became equals with the apostle Paul. We talked about how there is equality of the brotherhood. This does not negate or do away with jurisdictional authority. God gives pastors a jurisdiction. He gives missionaries a jurisdiction. He gives different ministers different jurisdictions and different areas and different authority over different people for different times. Just like he gives a daddy a jurisdiction over his home to make certain decisions within the scope of that home. And he gives a mayor jurisdiction over a city and the president jurisdiction over the nation that is limited by law and checks and balances, etc. So God also gives authority to and jurisdiction to his saints. But that doesn't mean that they're better than you. 
The pastor is not better than anybody else in the church house. The widow that has nothing to contribute, the old lady, the old broken up man, the little boy that just got gum on the bottom of your brand new pews is just as valuable in the sight of God as the pastor himself. He is of equal value. This is why the Bible tells us that he that commits respect of persons sins against God. We should be very guarded against respect of persons. We should give honor to whom honor is due. We should obey them that have the rule over us, that give watch for our souls. We should count them worthy of double honor who labor in the word and doctrine. We should do all those things, but we cannot respect persons. We must recognize that every individual in the church is of equal value in the sight of God. From the snot-nosed little brat that has just disrupted the service and is screaming and kicking his mother while she carries him out and snot's going everywhere and the preacher's stalling and stuttering from that person to the most influential moneyed deacon on the deacon's board who gives the most money to the church. Equal value. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle tells the church there that they are called to be saints. Sainthood is achieved by a believer when he's born again by the power of God. We've got to keep moving. I'm getting bogged down here. We were going to try and get past that a lot faster, but here we got stuck. The believers are of equal value before God. Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, has no more value than... I do, or any other believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you out there think I just spoke blasphemy, and I didn't. I have every bit as equal value with God as Mary. And by the way, I have as much access to God for prayer as Mary did. Read your Bible. She tried to get to Jesus in the press, and she was standing without and said, sent somebody, tell Jesus I'm out here. Jesus said, and they said, thy mother and thy brethren seek for thee. And he said, who are my mother and my brethren? They that do the will of my, of my father, which is in heaven. They are my sister, my brother, my mother. Rough paraphrase. Equal value. Jesus Christ did not give his own mother any extra hearing during his ministry time, though he did care for her in the physical realm of motherhood and eventually gave her over to the apostle John to take care of at his death, thereby taking care of his own. As the Bible says, if any man uh, um, provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel. Jesus Christ provided for his own mother, even down to his death. He provided for her, gave her what she need what she needed now here in first thessalonians chapter one we have a church that begins in christ this it says right there that they are in god and the father the lord or they're in god our father and the lord jesus christ something close to that and they began in christ then here in second thessalonians chapter one and verse one he again tells the church that they are in christ and so we find that as they began in christ now they continue in christ and this is the bulk of the message and the burden that we have today i want you to go to second corinthians chapter five Let's talk about this in Christ real quick. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm struggling, and you know I'm struggling. Help me, Father. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to preach your word rightly divided. Lord, let thy will be done with this message in Jesus' name. It says here in first in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So this concept of being in Christ is all through the Bible. 
Here it's stated very clearly that when you're born again, when you know Christ, when you've received Christ, when you understand, if you look back up there at 2 Corinthians um, 5.15, that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. If you understand the death of Jesus Christ to pay for our sins on the cross of Calvary, if you've been born again by the power of God, you are in Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Here in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4 and verse 2, we find here that he tells the church to, to love one another with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he says here in verse 4, there is one body. There is one body. Now, this is the concept from which the Catholic Church, so-called, the Roman Catholic Church, has taken the idea of there being only one church, and they claim to be that one church. And if they are that one church, then they have began in Christ, and they continue in Christ to this day, if they be that church, and if they did not begin in Christ, or if they did not continue in Christ, they are not that church. Any true church of Jesus Christ begins in Christ, and in in Christ. Here it says there is one body. Now the Bible also talks about the churches that are in this region, the churches that are in that region, ordain elders in every church. The local church in the word of God is a real doctrine. It's a real truth. The local autonomous um, gathering together an assembly of believers under the authority of the word of God with a pastor that God ordains um, and elders ordained. However, and listen, God gives lots of latitude for the exact structure of the polity of a church, of the church politics, as long as you're sticking within the scope of scripture and you're not making up whole new things. And as long as your church agrees to abide by what you've agreed to go by, God will honor all kinds of different church polities. He has throughout the ages. He's used many churches with many different orders of government. So be careful there. Don't get up on a big high horse. There's only one way to order a church. You, yeah. You might just find yourself excluding yourself from the blessings of God whenever you exclude brethren that God intends for you to include. But if you're going to go outside of Scripture and have apostolesses and a bunch of prophetesses and all these other S's out there and a bunch of so-called bishops and cardinals running around in their big red hats and a pope that's sitting up there claiming to be the vicar of Christ, you've gone outside of Scripture and what, and God will not honor it. It's a total fake thing. Uh, by the way, the, a lot of these associations were began as servants to the church. And then they have taken authority over the church and God never intended that to be the case. God did not give the Southern Baptist denomination any authority over any local church, period. And they try to exercise it. You say, oh, no, they don't. You don't know what you're talking about. And I say that as respectfully and humbly as I can. They do. And when they do that, they usurp the authority that God has given. And that's the case for any denomination that tries to raise up its head and lord it over the church. There is one body. 
But that body is found in equality. That body is found with no lording it over one another. There are jurisdictional realms given in the Bible, but the body of Jesus Christ is made up of every born-again believer that has been saved by the blood of the crucified one and put into Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The Bible here in Ephesians 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now this church at Thessalonica is a local church that is locally recognized by God as a church, as an autonomous, independent assembly of born-again believers, self-governing. They are not directly under the authority of anyone else, but because the Apostle Paul started that church through his preaching, he exercises his apostolic authority over that church. And by the way, the Apostle Paul is one of the the 12 apostles of the lamb has an extra level of authority because God made him the apostle to the Gentiles and gave him authority over all the Gentile churches. And if you don't like that, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Now, if you think that that apostleship had successibility where somebody else could take it, you've gone outside the Bible again. The, you say, well, where is the Apostles Paul ministry today? That's, this entire Bible time is based from a verse the Apostle Paul gave us. So we're here expounding on the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And the apostolic ministry of the Apostle Paul is continuing today, even right now, in this Bible time, as we read the words of the Apostle Paul and take it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Therefore, the apostolic work of the Apostle Paul is in continuance today, not succession. And nobody has the right to alter the Apostle Paul's word. If somebody else could take his spot, they could change his words. And that's what that whole fight's all about right there and why people tried to do that. This church at Thessalonica was addressed as equals by the Apostle Paul, though he had greater authority in many ways, though he had the ability to give them the revealed word of God, though God would use the Apostle Paul to write much of the New Testament, yet this church was lifted up to a position of equality when their eyes got on Jesus. When they submitted to Jesus Christ as their head, they were raised from a position of underlings to a position of equals. There are no laymen in the Bible. Do you hear me today? The term layman is not in the Bible. Brethren is in the Bible. There is no clergy and laity in the word of God. I had a lady ask me not too long ago, are you a pastor? I said, no, I'm not a pastor. I'm just a preacher. She said, oh, you're a lay preacher. I didn't, I didn't bother trying to correct her, but that was wrong. I'm not a lay preacher. I'm just a preacher. I'm just a servant of the Lord. You say, well, that's a nobody. Yeah, it is. But I am not a layman because there's no such thing as layman. There, you hear me today. There is no such thing as layman. That is a distinction designed by the devil to make people think that clergy, so-called, have a higher position with God when they do not. The pastor is no closer to God because of his position than the man that serves as deacon or the old man sitting in the pew that only ever just comes to church. 
This is the equality of the brethren. I can't hardly preach on this enough. Why? Because God hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. He says that in the book of Revelation. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And what is that doctrine? To rule over the laity. And that's the closest thing you get to laity or a layman in the whole Bible is in that word of the Nicolaitans, where it is a word that is describing a ruling class clergy that is lording it over the flock and putting them into bondage and subjection. And that is the only place you'll find that word laity. You as a born again believer are on equal footing with any God called preacher that ever lived. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, you go down through the list of D.L. Moody. It doesn't matter who you think he is or how great you think that man is. He's just a man and God is all the way God and God is the head. Christ is the head over all things to his church. He does give jurisdictions, but that does not alter the value or the closeness or get this, the access of the believer to Christ. Boy, I don't know if we'll even get to the message today. It does not limit your access to Christ for you to be part of the church and not be in a position. This is a lie that the devil tells that makes people feel like they can get closer to God if they can just get a position in the church. They'll have a better chance at getting to heaven. They'll be closer to God. Their prayers will be more likely to be answered. This is the lie that makes people go running to the preacher and say, Preacher, 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 my boy's in trouble. Please pray for him, preacher. And listen, it's a good thing to have your preacher pray, but they go running to the preacher thinking that the preacher has an edge on the market with God. The only edge that preacher might have on the market is the edge he gained by prayer and fasting and close communion with God that you can get too. You can get just as close to God as the greatest man of God that ever lived and you don't have to be a preacher or a pastor to be there. God wants to commune with you. We have access. If we get there, we've got to get moving. You'll see your access here in just a minute whenever we see that we are in God, a church in God. This church at Thessalonica had trials. They had tribulations, but the church had carried on. As they had begun in Christ Jesus, so they continued in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, my church started 2,000 years ago. You may say, Peter's my first apostle. But did your church continue in Christ? If your church has left the doctrines of Christ, then your church has left Christ. And we're going to see that today because there's a lot of things that a lot of people out here do false advertising. How many of you have ever had anything falsely advertised to you? You ever buy something and on the box it looks like it's huge and it looks like it's awesome and you open up the box and this little tiny cheap looking thing falls out that falls falls apart in your hands? Yeah. Every one of us have had such an experience. Have you ever said, seen something in this, and the label on the box said that it was something that you really wanted? Maybe it was a new, um, maybe it was a new baseball. It says on here, here's a new baseball. And you buy that new baseball, you take it home and you open the box and you pull it out. And the thing is just a little rubber bouncy ball with stitches painted on it. Is that a baseball? No. Where's the leather? Where's the stitching? Where's the, where's the twine that's been wrapped together to give it that nice hardness that it needs so that you can hit a home run? It's not there. Now, it kind of looks a little bit like a baseball in the box. Says it's a baseball. Does that make it a baseball? 
No. It's a baseball if it's a baseball, and so is a church a church if it's a church. Not if it says it's a church. Just because it says Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints on the sign, is it really the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints? The answer to that question will be found in the study that we're going to launch into right now. I could answer it for you, but I want you to learn the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just because it says Catholic Church on it and has big crosses everywhere, does that make it a church? Just because it says church down there, and a lot nowadays a lot of them don't even say church they say the hill the cup something like that they don't even try to claim to be churches anymore by the way don't go to one of those if it ain't a church don't go to it just stay out of that junk if it is a church you need to check it out and see if it's in christ if it's in christ it's a church if it's not it's not period I don't care how big the sign is. I don't care what it says across the top. God doesn't either. If it's not a church in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not a church. So here, let's look at that today. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Let's run some scriptures. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. A lot of emphasis today on the titles. I'm pastor so-and-so of Evergreen Church or some other kind of church out here. Just pulling names out of nowhere, out of my head. I'm pastor of such-and-such church. I'm the pastor of such-and-such church, says some lady in a pantsuit. Is she really a pastor? Is it really a church? If it is, it'll bear the evidence of the word of God with it. Let's get into that evidence. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Capital S, Savior. Do you see that in your Bibles today? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Without a Savior, there would be no church. Let's go to Isaiah 43 and verse 11. We were all Gentiles separated from the commonwealth of Israel, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and from the covenant and from the promises. We were far off from God and had no way to be redeemed, cut off from God in our sins. We needed a savior and unto us was born a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse um, 11. Let's look at verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Lord there, capital L-L-O-R-D, all capital, is the word Jehovah God. That's what that word is. And it says, I, even I, am the Lord. That is Jehovah. And beside me, there is no savior. So here, Jehovah God claims to be the savior. I'm coming to you today, as it says in the word of God, using the word of God as a witness of Jehovah. You say, oh, you're a Jehovah's witness. Well, I'm not associated with the Jehovah's witnesses. By the way, they call their buildings kingdom hall. They don't even call it a church. Why? Because they ain't the church. And Christ is the head over all things to his church. And if you don't know anything else about the Jehovah's Witnesses, you can nail nail it right there. Stay out of their halls. 
God has churches. Christ has churches. So that one ought to not even be able to get on the discussion list. Here, Jehovah says, beside me, there is no Savior. Go to Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 21. Till ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from the from the from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? That's Jehovah. And there is no God else beside me, a just God, capital G, and a Savior, capital S. There is none beside me. Now, we could chase this thing down all through the Word of God and find over and over again references. You can go to Titus and run this thing and preach a whole sermon just on the word Savior in the Word of God. Here, Jehovah God is calling himself the Savior. And in Luke chapter 2 that we just read in verse 11, unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. If you can't figure that out, you're not in Christ. Oh, you say that's harsh. That's what God taught. That's what the Bible says. If you're not in Christ, you're out of all of the blessings and all of salvation. And if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God himself in the flesh, not just an offspring of a deity that was born and brought into existence 2,000 years ago, but Jesus Christ is God Almighty, Jehovah God. It is Jesus Christ in Isaiah 45 who says, Have not I the Lord? This is Jesus Christ talking. You say, No, it's not. It's Jehovah. Jesus is is the word. Every word that comes from the mouth of God comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ. He is the word. Jesus is God. When God says, I am the Lord and beside me, there is no God. It is Jesus Christ talking. And we know him in the old Testament by the name Jehovah. He existed before the world was created. He created the world, and then he came down and was born as a man. Well, look at that, Lord willing. We have way too much to cover today. Look at what he says here in Isaiah 45. He says, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. Now, well, all all y'all out there that want to deny the deity of the Son are angry. You oneness people out there are all clapping and shouting and you're denying the Father and you're in the same boat as them because Jesus prayed unto the Father. And Jesus said the works that I do, I do not my own works but the works of him that sent me. He said I speak not to you my own words but the works of my father which is in heaven and the father God spoke from heaven and said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear ye him and God the father God the word and God the Holy Ghost are one even though they are three a holy trinity whether you like it or not That's Christ. And any church that leaves Christ is not a church, even if they started with Christ. Do you hear me today? And it could be First Baptist. It could be First Baptist. I'll name a famous one. It could be First Baptist of Hammond, Indiana. 
If first, if first Baptist of Hammond, Indiana ceases to believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, they will cease to be a church. I don't care how you start. I don't care who your preacher was. I don't care who your preacher is. If he leaves the doctrine of Christ and you stay with him, you have left Christ. You say, oh, we've got the oldest church in the world. Is that right? Are you in Christ? Because if you're not in Christ today, it doesn't care if you are 17 million years old in your own thinking, you're on your way to hell. The only church that God recognizes is the church that is in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath the Father, the Bible says. And you can't have the Father without the Son. Or the Son without the Father. And you can't have either of them without the Holy Spirit of God involved in the whole thing too. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Um, well, before you do, let's look at that again. Um, Isaiah 45, he says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Charles Spurgeon got saved by an old preacher that nobody even knew or recognized in a little bitty building on Sunday morning was preaching from this text. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Charles Spurgeon walked in off the street and sat down a professing believer, well studied in the Bible, but lost and far off from God. And he heard this message preached and he looked to the Lamb of God. And when he looked, he lived. He was saved by his own testimony. You can look up his, um, if you look up that text, he will t shares his testimony in his own commentary on that text. I've, I don't know everything Charles Spurgeon read. I haven't, I haven't read much. What I've read I've liked, but I haven't read much. I did read that and found that very um, very edifying, his testimony there. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. This is exactly what Jesus Christ said. He said that even so as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. He goes, and I'm mixing that with the next verse. That's 3.15. Read the context of John 3.16. Jesus Christ claims to be God. Jesus Christ claims to be that upon which we must look to be saved. And here God says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. Look at verse 23. I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow every tongue shall swear. Now go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to find that scripture preached and expounded on by the apostle Paul and how it directly applies to this doctrine of Christ. We'll find that in the word of God. If you have a satanic fake copy of the Bible it will not tell you that. But if you have the authorized version Bible, which is nothing more and nothing less than a straight translation of the exact, perfectly preserved word of God into English so that you can read the very word of God, then you will be able to follow along here. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. I'm not saying that in pride. I'm just saying it in raw truth. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You NIVers out there, your Bible says that Jesus thought not to be equal with God, which is blasphemy. You better watch out. 
You better watch out. He says here in the, in the true word of God, in the perfectly preserved word of God, that Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a direct reference to Isaiah 45. Do you hear that today? Here the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God is letting you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is not a coincidence and that Isaiah 45 here and verse 21 and 22 and 23 where he says, I am the, I the Lord, there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. I have swore by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Here God is directly linking Jesus Christ directly. It's not even something you can guess about. He is directly linking Jesus Christ to Isaiah 45, Jehovah God. Here, Jesus Christ is described in this passage as being in the form of God, not existing before he was born in the form of an angel, not existing in the form of a man, but being in the form of God. Here in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus Christ is presented to you as the eternally existent almighty God, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This God that said, I am the Lord. Beside me, there is no Savior. This God who said, I am God alone. Beside me, there is no God. This God who said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This God who says that he is God alone and there is none else. This God is the God that Jesus says he is equal with. How can he be equal? Equal with God who is equal with no man. Only if he's God. But Jesus Christ here was able to be separated from God in a sense. And look at what it says here. Though he was equal with God, made himself of no reputation. Who made Jesus a man? Did God the Father make Jesus a man? Here it says that Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. Jesus Christ took himself from heaven, yielded to the will of the Father, and was made in the likeness of men by an act of Almighty God who he is. Therefore, Jesus Christ is not only self-existent, Jesus Christ is not only equal with God, but Jesus Christ is self-creative. 
Jesus Christ, the Bible says, made all things and without him was not anything made that was made. So when the Bible talks about Jesus being made a little lower than the angels, being made the firstborn of many brethren, the Bible is talking about the man, Jesus, who was created by God, Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning with God and was God, though he is not the father, yet he is the father at the same time. And the Holy Ghost, for that matter, which is not an it, it's a him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Ghost. These three are one, 1 John 5, 7. Here in the Word of God in Philippians, it says in verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That's not possible if he's not God. The Bible says, God said, I have exalted, or thou hast exalted thy word above thy name. God exalted Jesus Christ above all. You say, did he exalt himself above God? Well, he would have, except for the fact that he is God. If he is not God, this whole Bible's broken. And that's what they want you, that's the, that's the devil's whole game plan. If the devil can get you to think that Jesus is not God, he's only created by God, he's a good prophet, etc., you have missed the whole thing. You are not in Christ. I don't even care what your church says on it. Your church can be independent, fundamental Baptist. It can be a Bible church. It can be a Wesleyan Methodist church. It can be a holiness Pentecostal. It can be a church of God Mennonite. It can be anything. You can put whatever you want on the sign of your church. If you are not in Christ, you are not in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you're on your way to hell. And if your church is not in Christ, you are not in Christ. And it doesn't matter what you put on your sign. Church of Jesus Christ or the Latter-day Saints, stick it up there. They do. Who can stop them? It's a free country, as the, as the saying goes, less and less free every day. But they say it's a free country. You can stick that on your sign if you want. It doesn't make you a church. The Mormon church thinks that Jesus is the brother of Satan. They think that Jesus was created. They think that Jesus ascended to godhood and that we will too. All of that is lies. And I don't even want to tell you all the junk. I don't even know it all. I don't study it. I just run into enough of it to want to vomit. The Mormon church is not in Christ. The Roman Catholic church, by the way, they've got all the stickers that say Christ, but they don't mean anything at all like the Bible means it. The Christ of the Roman Catholic church is, they say, God in the flesh. But he's the son of Mary, who's the queen of heaven, and rules over Jesus, and mediates between God and man, which the Bible says Jesus does. And the Roman Catholic Church goes on and 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 on. They say the Pope is the vicar of Christ, so Christ needs a pastor? A pastor is an overseer. A vicar is the word, is the word in another language for pastor. And they're saying that Christ has a pastor, and we're told to submit to our pastors, who watch for our souls. So they claim that the Pope watches over Christ's soul. And you say, oh, they don't really believe that. Well, they won't tell you they believe that, but then the Pope speaks supposedly ex cathedra from his little throne in his temple in Vatican City and says things in direct contradiction to the living word and defies the very word of Jesus Christ. 
Over and over and over again. They've got the label church. They've got the label Jesus Christ. But when you open up the box, it's a den of devils and thieves. It ain't a church at all. The Roman Catholic Church has the sign on the outside, but they are a synagogue of Satan, a den of every foul beast and a cage of every hateful bird, birds being a type of the devil and of the devils in the Bible. Probably misquoted that verse anyway. We have got to keep moving. What about your church? What does it say on the sign? That doesn't mean anything. What does it say inside? What does it say from the pulpit? What do you say? What do you believe about Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Do you follow him? Do you believe him? Do you love him? Do you worship him? Do you have your own little fake Jesus that loves you just the way you are and doesn't require anything of you? He's not really a savior. Uh, He's just going to like build a nirvana utopia for you whenever you die in your sins so that you don't have to suffer your punishment. He's some kind of weepy-eyed guy that went with his long hair and flip-flops to a cross and died there with a loincloth and got flopped in Mary's arms and was buried. And maybe he rose and, and, yeah, we sing about it, but most of those guys have their doubts about that if you really question them. Ask Joel Osteen. Ask him about Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Corner him on it. See what he says. Ask Ask those guys out there. Who deny Christ, the Copelands and all them bunch. Ask these guys what they actually believe. Look at what they actually say. Get beyond what's on the sign. You gotta look past the nameplate. Elder John and Elder Jerry just stopped by my house, and they've got Bibles and literature from the Church of the Jesus Christ of the Latter day Saints, and they're 17 and 19, but they're elders, so I'm gonna listen to them. You gotta get past that. You've got to get in the doctrine of Christ. You need to be in Christ yourself. And you've got to have the doctrine of Christ burned in your heart. Lord, help me. I am not getting very far today. We're going to look at Hebrews chapters 1 through 6. Told you we don't have time. Lord, help. By the way, if the Lord being our helper, if the Lord tarries and we continue, are able to continue this podcast, Hebrews is on the, it's on the lineup. Coming up. Coming someday. After Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and we hit Hebrews. And boy, will that be good. It's too big of a book for me to do. I'm just crying out to God to give me help so that I can rightly divide His Word and preach it as I get to it. You say, well, some of you out there might think I'm actually something. Where do you get all this stuff? On my knees praying and begging God for help because I don't have anything. And he gives me one bite at a time. And I give you what I've got. And I give you all that I've got. And then I go back and try and get more because I don't have anything left. And that's all I know how to do. And that's all I'm doing here today. I'm not some kind of spiritual guru. I'm just giving you the Bible. Um, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4. And let's look at verse 1. Lord being our helper, we'll go through this. We could just read the whole thing. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom, look at this, also he made the worlds. Who made the worlds? Jesus, his Son. But the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right off the bat, you have the deity of Christ and yet the sonship of Christ. 
who being the brightness of his glory, this Jesus Christ, the brightness of God's glory, and listen to this, and the express image of his person. Lord, be in our help. We'll preach this someday. Did you hear what it said? Jesus Christ, the express image of his glory, not made in the image of God, but the express image of his glory. That means that if you would see God, you would see Christ because Christ is God. When he became a man, he laid down his, his, he laid down his deity. He laid down his position and his power and his glory to become a man so that we could even look upon him and not die in his presence. But he was nevertheless the same. You, can you imagine the same thrice holy God walking the streets of the cities of Galilee. Our God who is a consuming fire. Our God who met Moses as a fire in the burning bush before whom Moses fell on his face and took the shoes off his feet and worshipped. The God that shook Mount Sinai that let it smoke and the thunder roll and when Moses beheld his glory, just the hindermost parts of his glory, Moses' face shone so that the people were terrified. All of that was placed inside what the body calls the veil, Jesus Christ's fleshly body that was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ, who is God, was not born as a God. He was born as man. He was already God. Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is the mother of the body of God. God already existed. God already existed before Jesus was born, and Jesus was God. He was God the Son, God the Word, and I don't even begin. You say, well, preacher, explain all that to me. All I can do is just give you Bible, Bible, Bible. Bible, 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 many, many, many more verses because the Bible from cover to cover reinforces this fact. And you're going to have to choose what to do with this fact. We walk by faith, not by sight. God gives you enough truth that you can see that he's truth, that he's trustworthy. And then he gives you the choice. Are you going to believe or not? And he hangs your eternal destiny on your belief. If you believe God, you'll be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. If you do not believe God, you'll be damned to the lake of fire for eternity, no matter what your church says on the outside. You've got to be in God, in Christ. Here he says, this, this is so mind-blowing, I can't even read this fast. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I struggle to minister as a human man, trying to balance the needs of my family, my bills, my work situation, whatever it is that I'm going through in life. I try and struggle to balance ministry and work life. The Bible says that Jesus right here being the express image of, the per, of God's person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you realize that means that while Jesus was walking there in the fields around the sea of Galilee and turning the, the water to wine and feeding the 5,000, 
that at that very time, the word of his power was keeping the sun shining and was keeping the galaxy spinning while he was ministering. And he laid down his, his glory. He laid down his position. He laid down his godlike power to abstain from sin and instead relied on the Holy Spirit of God to keep him from sin as a man. The Bible, we'll see, I don't even know if we'll get there. In all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. He suffered as a man while he kept us breathing as God. At the same time, the people that were cursing him and saying, crucify him and crucify him, were breathing the air that he was holding together by the word of his power. Right at that moment, he was keeping them alive while they cursed him. The men that drove the nails into his hands were being atomically held together on a molecular level, on an atomic level, by the word of his power. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. It says that when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels. Oh Lord, help us to see it today. Here in the book of Hebrews, chapters 1 through 6, we find the doctrine of Christ. And then it goes on through chapter 10, the climax, really, I believe, of, of some of the greatest teachings about Jesus Christ in the whole Bible. His deity, His humanity, His suffering, His propitiation for our sins through the sacrifice of His body, the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins by take, and then by taking the blood into the mercy seat in heaven. And the book of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus took it into the mercy seat in heaven, not into the one that was made with men's hands, but into the very mercy seat before the very throne of God the Father, God Himself in heaven. How did God the Son and God the Father exist separately? I don't know, but the Bible teaches it, and I believe it. It teaches us that Jesus Christ continues forever, not just as God, but now as man, He continues forever. I'm going to see the man Christ Jesus when I get to heaven, He's not dead. It wasn't his spirit alone that went up to glory and ascended. It was his body. He bodily rose from the dead. And I'm going to see the body of Jesus Christ in heaven. And my body will be resurrected. And my hands will touch my master's hands. My savior's hands. My hand will be able to touch the print of the nails in his hands. And touch the wound in his side where the spear went in. This is Jesus. This is who we worship. This is who we serve. This is Jesus Christ. The church here at Thessalonica had began in Christ and they were continuing in Christ. Here in Hebrews, there are many stern warnings to those that throw off their belief in Christ. Go down to chapter 3 here. He says here to these, you say, some people use this to teach you, lose your salvation. These people never gained their salvation. They're only losing a salvation that was never practically theirs. It was assured them by God's promises, but they never laid hold on it by faith. And therefore, they are not lo- lo- they're not losing a reality of salvation that we know is being born again. That is impossible to lose. That holy thing which is born of God cannot commit sin, the Bible says. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. 
So he says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Well, it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So unbelief, therefore, he's talking to people that have that are in a church here. He's talking to the Hebrew people they've got. They're in the synagogues. They might be gathering in the New Testament churches there in the Bible. And he's talking to these people who have the name church on their sign. And they have positions in the church and they claim to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they are not in Christ and they've heard the gospel, they've been partakers of Christ in the sense that the Holy Spirit of God has dealt with their heart and shown them Christ, as it will tell us later, they've been partakers of the Holy Spirit of God. It does not say that they received the Holy Spirit of God. It does not say they were filled with the Spirit of God. It does not say that they were baptized with the Spirit of God or anything like that. It says they were partakers. They have been dealt with by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has been dealing with with them and bringing them under conviction of their sin, but yet they're clinging to their church and they're not in Christ and their church is not in Christ. And he says, you will be made partakers if we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, they've heard about Jesus and they have his name all over their churches, but they're not in Christ and Christ is not in them. And if they die in this condition of unbelief, they will burn in, a, in the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the warning that's here before us today. A couple more verses. We're not going to read Hebrews 1 through 6, but I would encourage you to. I'd encourage you to carefully study Hebrews 1 through 10 to know Christ. Read it as a companion to the Gospels. Titus chapter 1 and verse 10. You, you should read the whole Bible. Like crazy. Titus chapter 1 and verse 10, it says here, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. They sell out. They're in it for the money. They're just trying to get you to come to their church and put money in their box, in their plate. They're in it for the money, and they're unruly and vain talkers whose mouths must be stopped. As we're wrapping this thing up today, I want you to know that the equality that is in Christ is limited to those that are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you are not equal with those that are in Christ. You're a sinner that is still in his sins, and they are sinners who've been redeemed from their sins and raised up in Christ. So therefore you are in your sins and they are not in their sins and you are not equal with them. And people that come to church nowadays think everybody gets an equal shot. Everybody should have a chance to express themselves. 
It's a lie out of hell. If you're shooting your mouth off about Jesus, you don't have a right to talk at all. You don't have a right to the tongue you're talking with because Jesus made your tongue and Jesus is God, whether you say it or not. And he's going to judge you someday and cast that evil tongue into the lake of fire, except you repent. Galatians chapter one and verse six. Galatians chapter one and verse six. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Here's a church that was started by none other than the Apostle Paul. You want to talk about spiritual heritage, you got it there. The original charter of the church was done by the Apostle Paul himself. The original ordination of their elders was done by the Apostle Paul as far as we can tell in Scripture. And this church at Galatia, he says, is so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. I don't care if he's the Pope himself. That last part I added. I wasn't adding to scripture. I was commentating. The Bible says if he preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. And that is what we would use that word anathema for. Let him be accursed. Do you know that the Pope has pronounced anathema on Christ and the doctrines of Christ? Go read what they decided in the Council of Trent. They've denied the doctrines of Christ and salvation by grace through faith alone. They maintain salvation through the host and through penance and through absolvances and through all of these wicked things that they have in their church and not through Christ alone. It's another gospel. They've departed. You say that's the oldest church. I say it's the oldest cult of Christianity. Why? Because they departed from Christ. He says, if any preach another gospel, let him be accursed. I'd like to ask you a question today. Whose anathema is going to hold at judgment? Christ, who is the judge, or the Pope, who will be judged by Christ? Whose anathema is going to hold out? What was the name of that last Pope that just died? Pope John Paul or something? Did you know that he is in hell today burning in the lake of fire? I'm amazed at the deception that goes through this land. I saw a quote that was allegedly from Billy Graham saying that he was a beautiful person and very wise and knowledgeable, stuff like that. I can't remember the quote exactly. It, but it was in the front of a book about the Pope. And they included his thing there in their fancy book about the Pope. Why are Christians so delusional? That man is in the lake of fire today. You're not in the lake of fire. He's in hell. He's going to be raised from the dead and stand before Christ and pronounced anathema and cast into the lake of fire because he's denied Christ. He's departed from Christ. I'm not saying that to be mean today. I'm just telling you the truth. He says, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man Preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, than that ye have received. Let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But you out there in your little churches, 
Many of you out there are pleasing men and not Christ. And you're going to stick with your doctrines of men instead of Christ. And you're going to stick with what the pastor says instead of what the Bible says. And you're going to find out someday that you too will be accursed. Go to um, Galatians chapter 2 verse 4. He says, and that false brethren unawares were brought in here. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. It's, it's interesting that here the apostle is writing this. I don't know exactly where he was when he was writing this, but he was soon to be in jail. He was often in jail. And here you have a jailbird with no home writing this to a church that has organization and hierarchy, but that has been overran by a false gospel. It is often the false preachers and prophets that keep the buildings and the grounds and run out the true preachers. Often. If you are looking at an organization to try and find the true church, you are already on the broad way to hell. The church is not an organization. The church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in Christ and Christ in them. And if you depart from Christ, you depart from the church. I don't care if it says church on your sign. And even if it says Baptist church on your sign, if you depart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you depart from Christ. I don't care how good your church once was. This is a warning to anybody that listens to this. You cannot judge a church by its sign, by the sign on the door. It'll give you a few hints about the church, but that's about where it stops. You've got to get deeper than what it says on the sign and what it says on the pastor's office door and what it says on the name tag of the guy that walks in. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All right, we've got to keep moving. Second John. And then we just have a few more verses. I'm going to try and do a little more reading, a little less talking. Just pray for me that I'll mind the Lord. Second John here has a stern warning about leaving the doctrine of Christ. I want you to see it today. This is the message that I left with the nursing home uh, ministry there. This is the message I've given to many, many, many people that I've met. Um, right here from Second John. It says here, For many deceivers are entered into the world, verse 7, who confess not that Jesus Christ, Jesus being the incarnate Word, God made flesh, Christ being God before he became flesh, who did become flesh, Jesus being the man, Christ being God, the man, God, Christ Jesus, is come in the flesh. Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Some people will tell you that the Bible does not say Jesus is God. Christ means God in the flesh. Read Isaiah 9, 6. Read the verses I gave you in Isaiah 43 and 45 and hosts of other scriptures. Christ means God in the flesh. Every time your Bible says Jesus Christ, it's proclaiming Jesus is God. That's what it means. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They confess that not. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. 
He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Those that claim that they worship Jehovah the Father, but they do not believe in the doctrine of Christ, that he that Jesus is God in the flesh, equal with Jehovah God, because he is Jehovah God, and Jehovah God is him, even though he is the Son and the Father is the Father. Those that deny this, many of those, many different groups, one of them being the Jehovah's Witnesses, have not the Father. They're false witnesses. They do not believe the Father. I am today standing before you as a true witness of Jehovah by giving you the words of Jehovah God that he is Christ and Christ is him. He says here, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. And he goes on there. You can read the whole chapter of Second Peter for yourself. Go to First Timothy. Here Peter was telling us that from from within the church that he was addressing in his epistle, from within the churches, there would arise false prophets teaching damnable heresies. One of the greatest arguments that the Roman Catholic Church will proffer to those that want to see its validity and its claim to being the true church of Jesus Christ is its antiquity. They claim that because they are so old, they are true. But all the way back to Peter, who they falsely claim as their first apostle, Peter said that from within the churches would rise false prophets preaching damnable heresies. And the Catholic Church has fulfilled the prophecy that Peter gave about false prophets, and they've done it very well. There's nothing but false prophets in the Catholic Church. 2 Peter 2, 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving thanks be made for all men. I missed it. It's chapter 1, so back up a couple verses. Verse 19 of chapter 1. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. These men, why are we looking at that verse? These men were in the church. Hymenaeus and Alexander would not have been delivered to Satan by Paul if they had not had faith and a good conscience by profession and then put away faith and a good conscience and began blaspheming and their mouths had to be stopped and Paul stopped their mouths. And that is biblical. We're just going to end it right there. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you take this message and help us exalt your son, Jesus Christ, Father. Lift him up high and holy. Help us, Lord, those of us that have begun in Christ, Lord. Lord, help us to continue in Christ. And Lord, if we've truly come into Christ, if we're truly in him, we will continue because you are able to keep us from falling. And salvation is of the Lord. 
And you said that you give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish and that no man is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. And then you said, I and the Father are one. My Father that gave them unto me is greater than I. But then you said, I and my Father are one. And we believe you today. We believe that Christ is God and we believe that he is the Son of God at the same time. We believe he upholds all things with the word of his power. We believe that he is our Lord and our God and we want to serve him. We thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us of Christ and convicting our hearts of our sin and convincing us of sin and righteousness and of judgment. We love you today, God. One God. We love you, our one God. We thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.